0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW through void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R A M P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing chumba casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere
1: Nation podcast. Uh, we're back for another episode of Dive Cuts. Um, yeah, yeah we're on 21. Remember. What are we on? Episode 21 at this point? Um, episode 21, wow. Uh, all the way in, it is uh, Monday, March 1st. Uh, we're going to hear uh, from Matt Harris, myself,
2: and we're going to talk some Mizzou hoops. Matt, how are you? I'm well. Uh, I can see daylight coming, much like the uh, rest of the Missouri program. On the SEC season, and uh, I would just like the post game to get the postseason to get here as soon as possible. Looking forward to the SEC grind being over.
1: It is a grind, and uh, and one that I think, as I was sort of making my way through, you know, the uh, the entire second half of the Ole Miss game, I was sort of taking stock. I think in in the. Uh, the weirdness that, that the SEC tends to kind of create, you know, Saturday's uh, results obviously being weird again. Um, Missouri was off, which was nice, uh, so it, it allowed me to just sort of sit back and, and work on that piece while just sort of take in some other results. Um, there are some weird things that happened. So Alabama won. They, they officially clinched the league. Uh, Arkansas... Uh, kind of blew the doors off LSU in the second half. Tennessee lost um, again. <laughs> uh, Ole Miss lost to Vanderbilt. Um, South Carolina went into Georgia and just beat the tar out of them. Um, and then uh, what What am I missing here?
2: Uh, I don't know what else. I don't know what you're missing here, but the uh... – Ah, yeah, uh, Kentucky lost to Florida. So
1: that was maybe, the, you know, the least surprising result. Um, I, I guess Alabama winning uh, at Mississippi State wasn't all that surprising, although it wasn't all that easy. I think they uh, Mississippi State had it down to, like, three uh, at one point, and then Jalen Johnson, I think, took three straight three-pointers, uh, all of which missed. Like, he, he had they, they had the ball on, like, three different possessions. Um the chance to to you know whittle the lead down and they were doing a really good job of of, you know breaking Alabama down off the dribble getting getting to the the ball around the rim I mean Mississippi State as you know uh has great size um so they were being effective at getting to the rim and Jalen Johnson decided he was just going to be the hero and and missed all three opportunities and and Alabama was able to get a bucket on the other end after his last attempt and extend the lead, and
2: and that was it. Good night. Not like you you have two capable guards that can play off the bounce and get into the mid range and be creative there at all. Got to just settle for it.
1: two capable guards and also like a pretty good big. You know, like to- Tolu Smith has been really good around the rim. I mean, he, there yeah, are like three other options was, there. Was, they was playing pretty well. Like I, I think Jalen Johnson chucking threes and and like one of them was like even on a fast break. <laughs> you know, like I think at that point Mississippi State had like no points off the fast break and he's like he's pulling up for three uh it was it was something um but yeah so another wild day and and so you know it's it's such a, a grind and, and you and I were kind of talking before we came on air like all these teams know each other so well they see each other I think one of the reasons why I was kind of skeptical of uh you know Tennessee sort of taking some, you know, big step kind of coming into the season was, I mean, obviously, one, we were concerned about their ball handling, didn't really have a true point guard, uh, but they were only 10 and eight last year. You know, a couple years ago when they returned everybody uh, and they were, they were awesome, like they were awesome the year before um, and brought everybody back. So they did that this year and they brought in these two five-star freshmen, but they were only okay last year. Like, they were middle of the pack in a, in a decent league. Um, so I just sort of, you know, and, and because the SEC is is so weird and they like to eat their own, um, it, 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 it's not surprising. It is a little surprising for me to see Tennessee struggle as much as they have. But, you know, to see them at, you know, basically what's going to end up being like, you know, 10 and 8 or 11 and 7, eh, it's not that surprising.
2: The, the difference between the SEC, the perception of the league being solid versus really, really strong is is the fact that Tennessee and Kentucky have struggled relative to expectations. Um, I think that that's sort of my takeaway is, uh, as we've gone through the year, um, or at least to the first couple of weeks of the conference, but it looks like Tennessee was going to live up to the billing and at least offset Kentucky not being very good, and you might have two – you know, top ten Kimpom teams, and then you know four or five that were going to be in the top thirty. And that really hasn't materialized. Kentucky didn't get right like we maybe would have thought they would. Um, this just the structure of this year has not been good. Um, the roster construction's been questionable there, obviously, uh, despite the raw talent and the material that Cal had on hand. But I, I think you and I talked about it earlier today, and as we get to the end of the SEC. Slate. The league has probably, in some ways, conformed to our expectations at the top. Um, I think we we thought there would be kind of this cluster of teams after uh, Kentucky and Tennessee that would all kind of be comparable. Uh, Alabama broke away and was by far the best team this year. But Arkansas, Florida, LSU, Missouri, uh, Tennessee has been worse than we thought. But Tennessee's kind of been in that mix um there's been five or six teams that have all kind of been clustered together and relatively speaking the SEC's got five Ken top 30 teams the Big Ten has seven the Big 12 has four this is just lacking another one or two top end teams and again to bring it back around that's where the relative struggles of Tennessee and Kentucky have factored in and I think really you know keeping this league from being viewed as one of the this being a three conference discussion for the best in the country. Um, but there's some depth in this league. Uh, we've seen that bear out. Um, and this has been a year where home court advantage has been really, really weak. And I think that's contributed to, it's been weak across the sport, but particularly in the sec. So it's, it's been a year where I think we've seen some results that one, we've seen blowouts. We've, and we've also seen just some teams get on runs and then maybe someone has a COVID pause, maybe, you know, they hit a particularly tough stretch of the schedule and they yo-yo back the other way. It's, it's been hard to sort of see a consistent progression of things. But as we get to the end and I look at the standings, you know, you could have told me in the preseason that Alabama would be a top three team. And I would have believed it. Arkansas, uh, under the right conditions, would have probably been a top four team for me. Um, Florida and LSU have been about what I expected them to be in overall. Uh, Missouri as well. Yeah. Ole Miss has rallied to be better than I thought, um, particularly in the past couple weeks. It's credit to Kermit Davis. Mississippi State's been better than I thought up until up Saturday, until sa-
1: where they lost to to Vanderbilt. Yeah. And and I mean, really, like I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of like what stacks doing, but they lost to Vanderbilt without Scotty Pippen and without yeah. To yeah that's that 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 that. If you read my my Vanderbilt preview, <sighs> <laughs> those are the two guys that I featured. Because I'm a big fan of what Stack is building with that program, like I really think you can build around those two. You guys. and Jeff Goodman would have have words, would have
2: vehement <laughs> words of disagreement.
1: But uh, did I did I send you the the tweet that he uh, was talking about his reporting and uh, about there being like 60 officials for the NCAA tournament, and and Norlander totally just like responded like like dude i reported that two weeks ago yeah
2: the <laughs> the old old miss aside from stubbing its toe there had been better down the stretch kentucky's been worse than we thought but you know there was a i think
1: you would really like like kentucky being bad and like this was kind of my point like kentucky's still
2: pretty good yeah they're, they're still 52nd and kinbomb uh they're close to being a top three team they're trying to figure it out state's been better than i thought um Credit to Tolu Smith, Iverson Molinar, and DJ Stewart for all getting better in the offseason. DJ Stewart's playing his way onto draft boards even, so kudos to that guy. George has been about what I thought. Auburn, about what I thought, even though they've had like the inconsistent presence of Sharif Cooper there. Uh, that, through no fault of his own, through injuries and the eligibility stuff. Carolina's been worse than I thought, which is a surprise to me. I thought they had a good backcourt and a nice. Mix of guards to be good there, but con- but it sounds like COVID really just threw that team for a loop and just absolutely hammered that program. We know A and M just got absolutely demolished by COVID outbreaks and COVID pauses. Vanderbilt um is one of those deals, like you said, you got to look through the margins there. I think stacks building it the right way. Um, the question is, can he start to get guys? He's got two four-star guys in his 2022 class already, but can he start to put together enough pieces to begin to move into that seven, eight, nine win range next season? Because I think that's something they're going to want to see. But as I look up and down the standings again, the only real surprises to me are that Tennessee and Kentucky are a little bit lower. Everything else, when I look at the pecking order, makes sense to me. So uh, I think that that's the funny thing is you know we sort of. Early on in the season, we thought this this kind of looks a little bit weird, and these results are a little bit all over the place. And now, sure enough, you know it's kind of settled out to where we thought it might be. As and to bring, yeah, I don't
1: think like and you know again like you don't necessarily project um, like Alabama running away from everybody else like like that's not anything that we're we're talking about. But Alabama being good was definitely something that was on the table. I think. I had them, I think fifth, and you had them fourth, and we were kind of talking up like the their ability if uh, if they picked it up on defense, which they very clearly did. Uh, I don't so uh, you know I think if if they picked it up on defense like I thought they could, um, I think they're probably third or fourth in this league. <laughs> I don't think I ever expected them to to run up to. You know, being the uh, like a top five defense and adjusted defense. No, uh,
2: I thought they might get to. Top, I thought if they cared, adjusted defense. I thought if they put it together, they could be a top twenty-five defense. I and yeah, and I thought with the offense the weapons they had on hand, they that was going to be a top fourteen. The the defensive improvement there, and especially how they go about defending, it is impressive there because they've managed to blend some tempo with the kind of an NBA-inspired dribble-drive motion offense.
1: Well, they don't really have any rim protection. They've
2: got a couple guys
1: with some decent size, but I mean, both Rojas and uh, and we're really getting sidetracked here with SEC talk, but uh, both Rojas and Reese are like not athletic guys. They're not shot blockers. Um, They're positional defenders. Their best shot blockers probably Herb Jones.
2: And that's where the pack line comes into play because they do such a good job clogging up the middle and, you know, really gumming things up for you and keeping driving lines. Closed off, that they've done a nice job and they've been able to compensate for that. This is a way of of us saying that, and for me, saying Missouri fans are probably irked. There's a segment of the fan base I'm not going to guesstimate how big it is that's absolutely livid that they've you know slid from fourth all the way down to a projected eight and eight finish. If you were to say to me that Missouri is going to be eight and eight after 16 games and they would not have played you know Vandy or A and I would have said that that makes sense. That yeah, like we 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 both had them at ten and eight. I think I had them ten, eight, or nine. And I can't remember, but yeah, they're they're on. Uh, you might have had them nine, yeah. and nine. I probably
1: so, talked to you in a ten and eight.
2: Yeah, I think in my final prediction, I had them nine and nine. So if they go five hundred this week, <laughs> that boom, they're at five hundred for the league this year. I think I had them winning fifteen or sixteen regular season games. They're close to that. They're on, and you said, I think if things went well for them this year, they'd be a top 50 or 60 team at worst. That's where they are. Um, how it's happened has probably not been one uh, experience that Missouri fans want to live through again. It's been, as we've said a lot, a high-variance experience where they, get, they are prone to getting blown out in some games and then winning some close games down the stretch against quality opponents, but... They've put together a resume that's going to put them in the NCAA tournament. Where they get seated could probably be a 7 all the way down to a 9. Uh, that's what this week's going to be about. We can talk about that. But, you know, I think as we transition into looking at this team, they're going to hit, I think, the expectations that you and I had for them. The methodology, though, uh, has not been one that, that I think uh, has jived with a portion of the fan base, though.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that sort of extends to how things played out, I think that's one of the things that I mentioned in my my Sunday piece, which I'll give a plug to for people that, uh, if you hadn't read that, please do, Uh, I spent a lot of time on it, Um, it's like 3,000 words with videos and all kinds of stuff. Welcome to my life, Sam, Um, isn't it fun? Yeah. Isn't it
2: fun doing that? the the of the the <laughs> hey, possession
1: anytime you want to you want to do those on top of doing uh you know study halls and breaking news and all that kind of stuff let me know um but uh so i think the way i kind of wrapped it up was and, and we've kind of talked about this privately but missouri basically got everything to go their way to beat bradley like down the stretch i mean obviously <laughs> they didn't they got everything to go kind of against them for the first 35 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, you know, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn uh, even around the rim, um, you know, but that game very clearly broke their way. The game against TCU very clearly broke their way. It, it was the only, the only thing that, that, or the only way it could have broken that worked out for Missouri. Uh, and it did. And then and kind of the same thing with Alabama, like Alabama closes the gap. And then Missouri comes up with the plays that they need down the stretch. And this has been kind of a theme for this team uh, all year. So they had two games recently where where things did not break their way. And, and Ole Miss on Tuesday was one of them. Uh, Arkansas on overtime was the other. Um, and so... Would you be willing to trade off like a home win against Arkansas and a home win against Mississippi if it meant that you had to give back the Bradley and the TCU wins?
2: No, because those cripple you. Those are...
1: Well, so that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're you're looking at it from a strictly uh, NCAA tournament sheet way, like losing to Bradley at home, losing to TCU at home, those are really bad losses. Like, that's a quad three and a quad four loss. Uh, losing to Miss uh, Mississippi Ole Miss at home and losing to Arkansas at home right now is a, a quad one and a quad two loss. Like they're way better losses to take. So if you're <laughs> like, the reason that Missouri is safely in the field is because when you look at all the resumes across the country, Missouri's record of being undefeated in quad three and quad four is going to, like keep them in the tournament at all costs because they also picked up as many quad one wins as they have. So when you factor in the fact that they have zero quad three, zero quad four losses, and they have, what, what are we at? Like six quad one six wins quad one
2: wins going into the week.
1: Like that's, that's a tournament resume. Like, boom, put them in. And that's why like, you know, Joe Lenardi, when he tweets it out, is just like, yes, they're in the field. Like, stop worrying about it. Um, but if you flip those results and now you have a quad three and a quad four loss, uh, you do have on top of blowout losses one on top win. of
2: some blowout losses in your quad one and quad two.
1: Yeah. Like now you're looking at, at, okay, maybe this team still has some work to do to get into the tournament. Um, and, and I think like, that's the thing that a lot of people maybe aren't quite realizing about how all these sort of resumes work. And, and I, look, I'm really, I'm as frustrated as anybody by losing to Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss is like the last thing from a traditional basketball power. And Missouri just can't beat them. And it's it's frustrating as hell. Like, I get it. Um, but as a practical matter, it's, it does not hurt. <laughs> yeah, like, and you would very clearly rather be able to beat Ole Miss at home. It didn't happen. Uh, and it, And it came down to a few key possessions down the stretch. Those are the possessions that Missouri made against TCU. They made against Bradley. Uh, they did not make them against Ole Miss. So that's that's how the loss happens. Um, I still contend that if uh, if Tillman would have played, they probably are able to to beat Arkansas at home. You know, maybe that's not the case because maybe they don't shoot whatever it was, 40% from three. Um, you know, but. At this point, the way Arkansas is playing, like no one's going to look at that loss as a bad loss. You lost in overtime to a team that is pushing for a, a protected I mean, seed. Yeah, I mean, like they're they're shooting up the rankings. They're uh, they're on a really hot streak. They've picked up two more like really huge home wins. You're the only team that has beaten that team in their home building. Like I I think that Missouri's done a lot of good work. Um, and you and I have constantly been preaching about how this team is. I mean, it still has its issues, um, but on the right night, if if they get the right draw, I think this is a team that that can still sort of push
2: into the second weekend uh, of the tournament. So, and this is a good week again. You know, there were some folks last week. I think I didn't. I don't need to say think that were wondering whether it was better for them to get Vandier A and as a makeup date and I think that's laughable because one by the time the old miss result happened regardless of you know what came after that, they're they're gonna need a lot of help to make a push to get back to the four line. They got some this weekend. But
1: in or- you mean the four line the and SEC, the SEC? to get title. to a
2: double buy in Nashville, they were gonna need help. And there were right. some results this weekend that helped them out on that front
1: there was no result that was going to get them back to a, a four line ncah no
2: not even a five line
1: I, I mean maybe if they run the table in nashville uh you know and and ran the table at the end they, they, i think they probably could have made it up but even that was gonna be on the far edge of I, what was gonna be the, yeah i think that would have been unlikely. because
2: what's gonna happen now is the net rankings are a essentially a way to organize those resumes so if you've got two teams with comparable quad one and quad two results the net ranking is a kind of a default mechanism to look at okay we have two teams with similar results but here's kind of what you know an adjusted efficiency rate basis tells us about how those teams have played so comparable resumes but this team has played better in assembling it so we're going to seed them higher so that's where the net's going to hurt them is if they get into a Seed line debate with somebody else on the six or seven line. You know they're gonna go okay. Well, that team's got a better net ranking, so we they might be more inclined to seed. But for the SEC tournament, it was gonna be hard to get back to a double bye. Um, and if you're gonna have to play in the quarterfinals anyway, either side of the draw, you're gonna get a quad. You're probably not going to get a quad one opponent in that first game. You know the hope is that you're gonna be able to take advantage of the quad one win opportunity. In, you know, the quarterfinal round, if you're a five or a six seed, maybe your path is a little bit different. But to me, the, the big thing this week was get two quad one win opportunities and try and rehabilitate your resume and try and at least get one more quad one win. So you get into the so when they go into the, you know, when the selection committee is sitting down in a couple of weeks, you know, if Missouri's gone out in the quarterfinals, for example. They'll say, okay, this team has hit some bumpy stretches at the end of the season, but they were without Tillman for two games. They've still got seven quad one wins. You know, they've still played a, a tough schedule. You know, we still think they're a team that you know merits being on the seven line. That that's really the hope this mm-hmm. week. And to get two quad one win opportunities this week gives them a shot to stay in that group of like eight or nine teams that have six plus wins in the quad one part of the quad part quad one sector. So that that's what to me was uh, this week was about was just having the opportunity to do some rehab work on their resume and sec seeding was sort of yeah, secondary
1: and as i kind of pointed out like i mean the the benefit of of playing two quad one and games and there's no bad versus, losses no bad losses. losses right right i mean like it, even if you come out of this 0 and 2 it doesn't really hurt you uh, it might bump you a seed but um, you're, you're probably losing out, like, you know, if, if you're a seven seed and, and LSU is an eight seed, it probably swaps those or something like that. Like, it, it doesn't really hurt you uh, losing to Florida, losing to LSU, the way it hurts you losing to Texas A&M and, and losing to Vanderbilt. And not that I, like, I'm not the guy that worries about losing to Texas A&M losing to Vanderbilt. Um, I just don't care about the SEC tournament, Well, much really at all. Like I really don't care about any conference tournament other than the fact that I just want to watch some basketball games and enjoy basketball games. But I really don't care like about Missouri being in a good position for that tournament because they don't need the help in the tournament to to get to the NCAA tournament. So I feel like I just said tournament a lot. The only reason you
2: care about a conference Um, tournament if you're a high major team is, one, if you are – fighting for a one- or a two-line seed. If you need as many opportunities to sell the committee on you know, why you deserve a critical line bump there, or if you are a right. team that is desperately trying to get from first four out to in the field and avoid a play-in game. like It literally matters at each end of the spectrum. Now, some teams will play themselves up some seed lines some teams will go on runs but like as a functional matter to me they matter more for the teams the extremes of the seed of the s curve in the seed list if you're a high major yes
1: yeah and as we've said like missouri is not in danger at this point of of missing the tournament and i really think like once they they knocked uh texas a&m and vanderbilt off their schedule like i i feel like the ability of missouri to miss the tournament altogether has been removed um, so you know with that said like I really don't care where they're seated I don't really care what happens in the SEC tournament I'd like to you know I'd like them to win a few games in the NCAA or the SEC tournament just because it'd be nice but it to me it doesn't if they lose in the first game I'm really not going to care very much um, because the goal for this team is always going to be Get to the NCAA tournament and win a game. Like, if they can win two, great. Uh, but but get there and win one, win one. Uh, and then, you know, like whatever happens from there, like happens. But I just, I'm not gonna really worry if if you know Missouri is a an eight seed and and they get you know bounced by whoever in the first round. Like whatever, um, you know. That's just that that's where I am
2: mentally on the SEC SEC tournament. So two games at Florida on Wednesday night. Uh Kim Yeah, we should probably get into like previewing yeah, these. Right? Florida, uh, on Wednesday. Thirty two percent win probability there, uh five point line based on Kim algo, uh then LSU senior day on Saturday. A legit fifty fifty toss up with Missouri as a one point favorite. Misso Arena
1: if you maybe I'm crazy I, I like their odds of beating Florida at Florida better than I do
2: LSU at home <laughs> I, I'm sort of the opposite I think Florida is kind of built for the has a little bit is built a little bit better to challenge them L, LSU's can be a death machine offensively but I think there's it's so poor at times on the ball defensively with some of its key personnel and there's not really rim protection. So I think it's probably better for them to have LSU, just because I think structurally on the defensive end, this team can find a way to go toe-to-toe a little bit, scoring the ball with LSU.
1: Well, I do think Florida and Missouri are, are built very similarly. Um, so we were t- kind of talking before the pod, we can kind of rehash some of this stuff. One of the reasons why I really like, or I, I guess – I like is probably the wrong term um one of the reasons why i think uh florida has been better than maybe i expected them to be this year um and i'll put a caveat on that once keontae johnson uh was uh, out of the picture um so keontae johnson was uh, i think for a lot of people the preseason sec player of the year Uh, a guy who's just terrific last year um and looked really really good in the first uh few games of the year uh, but to me like i was always concerned i mean we've always kind of had some issues with mike white and what he's been doing in florida uh they've never really had a guy that you could rely on around the basket and i didn't think they were going to get that from colin castleton like colin castleton was a non-factor at michigan so I didn't really think him transferring to Florida and suddenly he was going to become uh, as good of a player as he's been for the Gators. And he's been terrific. Uh, so you couple Colin Castleton giving them something around the basket, which is more than what they were getting the last few years from really, you know, any cast of characters. Uh, along with the fact that Trey Mann has, in my opinion, kind of taken that step. Um He's he's become the kind of lead guard that I think people like. Like I don't know that uh, I didn't think he could get there, but certainly after the way he played last year, I was skeptical that uh, that he was going to take this kind of a step. And he's taken that step. He's he's so much uh, you know better with the ball in his hands. He's so much better uh, reading ball screens. He's so much better distributing the ball, um, and that has made. Uh, Florida just a, a much better team overall because you and I have both always liked Noah Locke and he's a, he's a solid defensive guy. He's a great spot-up shooter. Uh, I, you know, Tyree Appleby uh, brings, um, a, you know, a different element to that offense. Anthony Deruji is a guy who, like, I don't necessarily love Deruji um, and, and what he does, but he's athletic and he, he you know, brings a, uh, energy to his defense scotty Lewis um i think a lot of people have been kind of let down by um by Lewis and his development but he's he's still a guy who is athletic and and as capable uh he's more than capable defensively. So when you couple all these things the one thing that they needed is they needed a reliable point guard. Uh and they needed somebody in the middle. So they needed a big guy and they got Trey Mann to be that guy. They got Colin Castle to be that guy and it's worked for Florida. So I, I think this is a team that uh, I don't necessarily project them to be somebody who makes like a deep NCAA tournament run um, but it would not surprise me to see them in the sweet 16.
2: No. I, it's not a blessing that they lost Keontae Johnson who I to me his what made him attractive was that you could flex him to the four spot, and you could run basically a four-guard lineup, and not lose anything defensively in terms of length and on the glass defensively. Uh, and he's just, and as we talked about in the preseason, he had just slowly fleshed out his game, where he was more than just a slasher. But when he, you know, when he was sidelined, and we're glad that he's okay, obviously, but when he was sidelined, it opened up, I think, a little bit more of an opportunity for Mike White to define his backcourt more clearly and have a hierarchy there. Um yeah. I think the one thing I sort of worried about was what were you gonna do at that 3 4 spot with Trey Man, you know, Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson. How are you gonna make those guys work either a combo guard or a wing? Well when Keontae Johnson went down it made it easier for Trey Mann to slide into that lineup, and it, you know, eased Tyree Appleby away from having to be your de facto point guard. And then you had a little bit more of a, a theory of a case at that position because now you could use Mann as a bigger lead guard. You could put Appleby off the ball, and he can shoot the ball. He can spot up. He's shooting thirty nine percent from deep in SEC play, but he's really good attacking closeouts and getting into gaps. And so now what you had was Trey Mann, who's playing in ball screens, can pull up, can get to the rim, has been really, really good distributing the ball, forces defenses to rotate. I think, you know, Andrew Nimbard was really good as a facilitator, but I think the scoring element that Mann brings really now forces defenses to rotate, to send help down and over, and it's widened open some gaps for a guy like Appleby, so he's not just he – who's a little bit undersized at 6'1", but he can get off the – he can play off the bounce a bit. Noah Locke is now a legitimate floor spacer. DeRuji can kind of just you know crash the glass and you know be a cutter. And if you need to, you can run offense for Colin Castleton. You can post him. He's really, really good at posting. He's He doesn't get as many post touches as some other bigs in the league, but you can post him. He's been outstanding on the glass. Um, he can hang out in the short corner. But what I think he's really also added and mentioned too is he's great running rim to rim. And we've seen what that can do for you with, a guy like Jeremiah Tillman. Now you're getting your big guy some touches on the move, where he's not having to, fe- where he's not having to, you know, bang and jostle in the post. And what it's allowed them to do is open up the tempo a little bit. And I think that's something that I always thought made Mike White's teams really, really good at Louisiana Tech is they just played with some pep. They attacked early, and it seemed last year when they had Nimbard and Blackshear, everything was like we've got to run our ball screen for. Nimbard and let him try and make something happen. Then we got to get our touch to carry Blackshear. This year, they're just going. And I think there's just a little bit more tempo. There's a little more pep. The backcourt makes a little bit more sense. And they've got Castleton, who can, like you said, sort of anchor that low block position. And defensively, he gives them that rim protector as well. So it just, I think, in a weird way, Keontae Johnson sort of unlocked the lineup that works best for what Mike's trying to do this year. And, it's a, and all of them are going to guard. I think that's the other thing. Is like, the question was never, would Florida guard? It was, were they going to have a consistent enough or a cohesive enough offense? And they still have some inconsistent spells in games, but they're far, far better at, at having an idea and a notion of what they want to do attacking and trying to score.
1: Yeah, so I just pulled up uh, Trey Mann's ken Palm page and this is really kind of remarkable for a guy so uh last year he played about 40 percent of the minutes this year he's about 78 his offensive rating went from 86 to 106 and his possessions went from 19 to 25 so like that like yeah like this is pretty incredible when you consider his offensive rating jumped 20 points per 100 possessions with an increase in usage an increase in shots uh and his turnover rate, when you consider the you know being a primary ball
2: handler, didn't really um, increase at all. It dipped by about like two percentage points, I think.
1: Yeah, and then his assist rate tripled. <laughs> like, like the, and I mean, obviously better shooting numbers. Uh, he's at almost forty percent from three this year. Uh, he's not great from two point range, but but solid for a guard is forty five percent. Uh, He's improved from the free throw line. Um, His free throw rate has improved. His fouls drawn rate has has doubled. Um, His foul committed rate has dropped. I mean, he's just a guy uh, who has, like I said, he's taken that step. You know, when you talk about um, not everyone's... um, progression is is the same not everyone's on the same kind of schedule and Trey man came in with like a lot of expectations he was a five-star guy he was kind of known as a scorer at, at the high school level uh and he just wasn't ready um but whatever he did this past off season man he he's a different player he looks looks fantastic so yeah I, I i think i think florida's a really interesting team i do think this is a game that um that you know if missouri uh plays I think like they're capable of if they defend like they're capable of I think they can give Florida a lot of fits uh, we've seen lesser Missouri teams go down to uh, Gainesville and, and certainly um, you know give Florida a tough time but not really pull out those wins but I think this is a team that, that could pull up that win
2: my only pushback on that is those teams didn't quite have that piece in the middle they didn't you know they had Clary Blackshear last year but they didn't have a lot of depth behind him this year they can throw Omar Payne out there. They can put DeRuji out there. They've got, I think, a pretty good front court, and that's going to be big against Tillman. They rim protect really well. Um, I think they're fourth in block shot rate. You can get on the glass against them a little bit, um, but uh, they'll foul too. I mean, I think that's your hope is <laughs> that you're going to be able to at least apply some pressure playing out of ball screens you're going to get castleton some foul trouble you're going to get some hand check calls on the perimeter and maybe you're going to have to get into some inefficient lineups where you're playing you know scotty you know scotty lewis a little more maybe you're having to put quez glover out there who's 5'11", 182 maybe you're having to get into the backcourt a little bit and there's some drop off there in terms of net rating and the impact that those guys have but if you're if the whistles are you know, if they're letting them go a little bit, then I think this could be tough for Missouri just because there's enough athleticism and toughness and rim protection there to make things difficult for them. So that, that's my only thought. And there are just some key matchups that I think they can, they can hold their own. You know, you can put man on Pinson and obviously Castleton can go on uh, Tillman. And then you're just really hoping that, you know, Drew Smith can make something happen. It's Appleby or Locke, but We'll see what happens on that, on that front. I just think Florida is going to be good enough defensively to make life difficult, and Missouri is going to need a little bit of help on the offensive end, maybe getting into the line or having some guys get on the glass. It seems like a game where I think Kobe Brown could be pretty big for them, just because he's shown the ability to kind of create second possessions, score. I think he could be a guy who could you know give DeRuji some fits at times, just from his ability to. Make plays from different spots on the floor, so I would sort of look maybe at Kobe Brown as an X factor in this one, uh, if they need to get on the glass and create some second chance opportunities.
1: It's interesting. Like I I do think that Missouri does sort of match up uh, against Florida defensively uh, pretty Mm -hmm. well, Um, mainly because I, you know, I do like you know Drew Smith as kind of a ball hawk and be able to defend Trey Man if he stays out of foul trouble. Um, if Mark Smith is able to, uh, you know, sort of you know play either Appleby or Locke and and, and prevent them from getting clean looks, uh, I think I think it kind of allows Missouri to,
2: to maybe hide Pinson a little bit. Um, see, I worry that that's going and, to be Appleby uh, on Pinson, and we're going to see some poor closeouts and some gap and or some questionable stuff, and that he's going to be able to get into some gaps, and that's going to cause some issues. I, to me, I. Yeah, well, I think the, I think the advantage to me, I'd hide, I'd hide him on Locke is, just because I think Locke's going to space,
1: and I'd want more. Right. Well, I was just going to say, like, I think like the advantage that you have is 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 neither of those guys are particularly like big. Like with with man, man is is listed at six five. He's he's a bigger guard. Uh, clearly, like you're going to have to have your your guys besides you're going to have to have Drew Smith. You're going to have to have Mark Smith defending him uh, a lot. Um, you know, but but with Locke and, and Appleby, those guys are like six three, six one, which is about the same size as Pinson. So it makes it a little easier to kinda um you know, as as opposed to, you know, having, you know, X try to defend somebody who's who's, you know, bigger and, and more athletic than he is, I, I think that that helps them in that regard. So I, I don't know. It's it is one of those situations where uh, I mean I've also just have a sense of this team that's like they've they've played pretty poorly in a lot of their outings but you know coming off of uh you know a, a weekend of rest you kind of get a sense that maybe they they have a good night um and so i, I like i think that's also kind of plays into it is when you get into the flow of the the season um you know Missouri is a team that that's going to come in rested uh, Missouri's going to basically have had a, a week to prepare for for florida and that might give them a little bit of an advantage i don't necessarily know that it means that they win but i certainly think it's going to be a um i think i think that's why i think this game is is probably the game that i would say is more likely for me uh that they would win than the, the home game against
2: LSU. if we're talking personnel i i do think lsu's more dangerous because i look at what cam thomas can do and is there a guy who can check cam thomas on this roster like if you put drew on him that would be the logical thing but then javante smart's playing really well and and can be a factor for that and
1: also like like one of the things that thomas is really good at is drawing contact and drawing fouls um you know so if you put drew drew smith on him like i mean you you're asking for trouble there likes yeah like drew likes to gamble and and Uh, So, I would almost like, I would want to match him up with like Mark Smith. I think Mark Smith um, can get a little aggressive at times, but he's also a little bit better uh, as far as just being a positional defender. So, I think you could probably get away with that, and that that might be your best hope.
2: Yeah. And I'm trying to look up what Javante Smart has done in terms of turnover rate this year because I can't remember where he's at. Um, Smart's at 20%. So, maybe can... Get into him a little bit, uh, but Smart's been a guy who I, I've been really impressed with. His efficiency rating, at least in his ability as a shooter, has really picked up this year. That was always sort of my critique of him was that, you know, he shot the ball better in SEC play last season. He's now a forty percent shooter from deep. Um, still kind of questionable as a two point shooter, but he's really, but he's made enough of an improvement at the free throw line. His free throw rate's ticked up enough that I think he's pretty good. Um, his assist rate is a little higher, but his turnover rate's up. You know, I, I think you could hide Drew on him a little bit and give him some problems and, you know, maybe create some turnovers and some transition opportunities. Um, LSU, after that, I think you could put Andre Hyatt and X together, and you're fine. Um, the four spot is Darius Days versus Kobe Brown. I feel like that's a matchup where both are kind of similarly sized. Um, and then, really, the the matchup I think is going to be interesting to watch is what do they do with Trendon Watford? On um, Jeremiah Tillman, uh, Watford can defend the post, but he's still also kind of a guy who I, you know, I've talked about it before. is not a traditional rim protector. He's not a consistent defender. It feels like that's an opportunity to go with that matchup and, you know, maybe also get Watford in some foul trouble and then take that take him off the floor. Um, I just
1: don't like. I mean, if you're Will Wade, you put Watford on Tillman. I'd, I'd, the I'd...
2: problem though is if you put Days on him, Days has been not a great post defender because he's six 245 and people can <laughs> you can score over the top of him like that's yeah and who are you gonna yeah. I and mean, you're gonna have to run a double over to him like is it gonna be hyatt doubling over i mean that i think that's the issue they're gonna run into is like
1: they'll also play some zone yeah they'll, it wouldn't surprise me to see him play a little do zone. they
2: do you think they throw some two three matchup at him and see what happens
1: well, like one of the things I actually thought was hilarious, and you know, this is maybe Will Wade being too smart for his own good, or uh, or maybe he just knows that Watford is such a lazy defender, it's probably his best bet to to get him to to defend a little bit. Um, but they they did play a two three zone against Arkansas in the second half, and like Watford was out front. <laughs> i'm like what are we doing here and it was like it was like a regular just two three zone and uh i'm pretty sure like watford and smart were kind of on one side of the ball uh you know like watford was on the uh on the right elbow as the the right elbow defender in the two three zone and smart was on the wing and i'm just like what are we doing like really like no, no. It just no idea. And, uh, I mean, no surprise that Arkansas ended up winning that half by, like, 20 points. So. Uh,
2: LSU's a team that can absolutely go bonkers offensively. And individually, like, their defensive numbers look okay in synergy. But what you'd find is, is you can if you ISO up Cam Thomas, he's a freshman, uh, and he struggles at times. It, playing on an island. Uh, Trinidad Watford has a lot of physical tools, a lot of length, but if you ISO him on guards or guards get on him, he can be taken advantage of. Like I just mentioned, Days is a little bit undersized on the block, uh, so you can get some mismatches there on the post. And they don't play Josh LeBlanc all that much, but when he's on the floor, every time I've watched him and the numbers back it up, he struggles to be mobile in ball screen coverage. So I think there's some ways that Missouri can play off the bounce they can get downhill and as we've talked about in preseason we were talking about before we came on in the past LSU could get away with that a little bit when they had Cavell Bigby Williams and Nas Reed there you could have guys you know gamble a little bit on the ball you could have them kind of play in passing lanes because there were two really long athletic guys there to clean it up around the rim they don't have that this year so the back line is not uh, optimized for that if you can get past that first line defender lsu's even if days is the low man and coming down and over to help it's not the same as cavell bigby williams there to meet you at the rim so if i think of missouri especially penson who is good in isolation can get downhill and really put some pressure on lsu i think you could see missouri find some success there the question is you know is lsu just gonna hit a rhythm and be a death machine on the offensive end of the floor like are you going to get into a scoring contest with them
1: they're they're capable uh and and it's clear like like that's the gamble that will wade has made with this team uh we were kind of looking at their um their numbers kind of beforehand and like the the hoopland stuff and and cam thomas's like numbers defensively like when he's on the court like his impact on the team, <laughs> like he's still a net positive because he's so good on offense. But it's like they are just, I mean, the, and with him and Watford on the court, it's just like their defense is is bad. But it um, still winds up being two to I mean, three it, points like,
2: better per one hundred possessions.
1: Like yeah, like like they're they're one hundred and forty eighth on offense, but they're seventh or are in defense, but they're seventh on offense. Uh, and so when you when you take into account like so you know camp thomas he puts up numbers no matter like no matter who they play when they play like he's going to get his shots and he's going to score his points uh looking at the sec slate (laughs) so he played he only played four minutes against ole miss um i don't know did he get hurt or something uh i think so or he may have been nicked now but Let's just let's just look at these these point outputs, just pure points. So Texas A and M opened up thirty two points. They go uh, at Florida twenty eight points. They're home for Georgia twenty six points. Uh, they at home against Arkansas seventeen. Uh, home against South Carolina twenty five. Alabama home game twenty one. Uh, Kentucky away game eighteen. <laughs> Texas A and M away game twenty eight. Texas Tech, uh, that's a Big 12 challenge. So we'll skip to Alabama, 22, an away game. Away game at Mississippi State, 25, 25 points at home against Tennessee, 27 points at home against Auburn, 21 points at Georgia, and 25 points uh, at Arkansas. So like he, it doesn't matter, like where they play, who they play. Cam Thomas gets his points um he does so with uh mitigating efficiency but most of the time he's pretty efficient because he he gets to the line like half of those games he's getting to the line double digit times um his fewest amount of free throws three against texas a&m four against arkansas but otherwise it's like seven nine thirteen like that like these are the kind of free throws that he's shooting uh, and he's a good shooter. So he's a guy who's going to get his points.
2: If you can pin down, like, usually it's going to be Cam Thomas going to get a bucket. And then one of Smart or Watford will chip in. But the games where they've really struggled is when it's been two out of the four guys have, have played well. They need a third guy. They're a lot like Missouri. They need a third guy to really come along. Um, And when they've struggled this year, it's, it's been when days more often than not has kind of been held in check. Um, So realistically, what you're hoping for is that, you know, Kobe Brown and Mitchell Smith do a good job holding days down, collectively you do a good job on smart. And, you know, you can offload that job a little bit to probably to drew Smith to check him. And then you're just going to ask, you know, the rest, you're going to hope that you can do a good enough job and, on those two. And if Cam Thomas and Trinidad Watford, and Watford has played poorly or inefficiently in game. So you're hoping that maybe if Watford's having to make plays around the rim, Tillman's going to slow him down enough to be a factor. And that way, if Cam Thomas just goes bonkers, he's going to have to be carrying so much of the offensive load. It won't matter to me. That that's really what this looks like is Brown and Smith shutdown days. Drew Smith locks up smart and, Tillman's able to slow Watford enough, at least around the rim, that it puts a lot of pressure on Thomas to carry that offense, and he's efficient a lot of times because what will happen is he'll get to the free throw line, and that'll juice his efficiency numbers. So, it that's that's kind of the formula for them. But Missouri will. So I do
1: think like one of the keys with with Thomas is you know I think you'll probably see Mark Smith um, be a guy that defends him a lot uh is to make every like look that he takes from three like a really tough look. Um obviously Missouri is gonna contest a lot of the mid range shots. Uh you know, but one of the things about Cam is is You gotta run will, him off the he line. He'll pull up from damn yeah, he'll pull up from damn where a- anywhere. Uh damn near anywhere. Um You gotta run him off the line. But and you if you run him off the line, you you make him shoot pull ups. You know he can have one of those nights where he's four of ten or, uh, you know, three of eleven from two. Uh, without letting him get to the you know the line, fourteen times. And if you do that, then I think you can. I mean, he's still going to get twenty five points. But he needs to do it on twenty shots. Um, right. Yeah. And like, if 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 he's if he's near, if he's taking. 18 19 shots and he's scoring 25 points i think you can live with that um to me like the the bigger key is is going to be how they defend watford and if they can force watford to kind of get frustrated um and i i think you can do that because i, th- I feel like even the last couple of times they played lsu like watford has gotten frustrated uh and and having to you know defend some of mizzou's big guys and you know mizzou rolls out like some good size uh and, you know not necessarily like the, the kind of guys like mitchell smith but you know having to defend somebody like jeremiah tillman who wants to be around the rim uh i i think that's a way to kind of exploit his defense so uh, missouri's gonna go 2-0 matt i just feel it i'm gonna say one and one i don't know which one they're gonna win but i'll say one and one I <laughs> Uh, I hey, there's some uh, there's some fans in, in Rock Nation's uh, mentions who are uh, on, on, on the Twitter sphere who are, who are feeling a two and0 finish here and, and certainly I think you, know, you definitely want to get a win for the seniors. Uh, Sunday or Saturday sorry is is, uh, is senior day for, uh, for the Tigers in the, the last uh, home game for a, a group of guys who have really pr- been pretty important to how this season has kind of played out. I think you're probably looking at, uh, at saying goodbye to, to Drew Smith and Mark Smith and, uh, Mitchell Smith and Drew Bugs and Jeremiah Tillman. So, uh, it would be nice to kind of send those guys out on a win.
2: Uh, wish we could pack the stadium, but we can't, <laughs> uh, just s- send good vibes, send good vibes over yeah. Twitter. Uh, that, that, that's the best I can hope for you to do there, but yeah, big week. Um, excited to it's march championship week is almost here i would you no, know, not this week's unimportant but i'm a broken record i would just like to get to postseason basketball as soon as possible uh so let's hope this week goes well but also quickly
1: yeah it's sort of like like i mean we've just kind of set off air um I like we've been watching this same exact missouri team for like two years um you know, and, and and really, kind of two plus years. I realized Drew Smith is kind of like the new guy. You know, Kobe Brown has been here two years, but like we we know what this team is capable of. Uh, there's not a lot of analyst uh, <laughs> analysis left uh, for for Missouri basketball. Like they 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 are who they are at this point. Um, so there is like a little level of excitement for for both of us to, <laughs> to get to the off season and be like, hey, new new people. Um, you know but at the same time like you definitely want to see this group who uh you know group of really great kids i mean I, I don't know how you you couldn't absolutely just you know love Drew Smith uh you know Jeremiah Tillman you know for what he's become uh Mark Smith is terrific Mitchell Smith is like the last holdover from the Commander era and he's you know fighting and scrapping uh it's it's a group of guys who Um, who i think deserve a lot of uh what's the word i'm looking for
2: here matt respect crit uh plaudits laurels adulation uh compliments uh just high fives man give them high high fives fives.
1: they've they were ranked for 11 weeks it was a terrible year sam terrible year (laughs) don't say that like like that's that's an accomplishment for uh for this team who i mean the advanced numbers don't love them uh and certainly they're not without their flaws but that i mean that's college basketball these days if, if you if you can overcome your flaws uh on on any given night you can you can go a little ways and, and i think i think like that's why i think this team is a team that's capable of uh of doing enough to kind of put it together and 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 maybe surprise some people here in the next couple of weeks. i uh, um,
2: as wonky and stat sheet dependent as anybody. Like the mission critical this year has been get a tournament bid, get a tournament bid and try and win a game. And I think anybody who's paying attention to the program or writing about the program, whether it's us or any other outlet, that the course has been pretty, has been pretty, uh, pretty much in lockstep or it's been unified there that you know it's it we get fixated on kind of you know what's happening in this two game stretch this five game stretch in aggregate they're going to do what they needed to do they you know if they go 500 and they had two potential wins knocked off the books that would have made them 10 and 8 achieve the objective that they needed to achieve get into the NSA tournament That's what they needed to do um and I I just think that that's what people have to take stock in right now. You know, we can, all of us know what's on the other side of the off season and know what a big off season it is. But I think as you look for a program that's trying to restore its credibility, these guys have done what's been asked of them. You know, they, you know, they had, you know, for some of them they had two years where injuries and inconsistency sort of defined it. But at the end of the day, they're going to get the program back to a tournament. They're going to. It would be two times in four years if they win a game. It'll be the first time in a decade. All that's still out there, Um, and I don't think there was ever going to be an overnight fix. I don't think it's been easy for this group at all, but I think they're going to they have the potential to lead the program in a better place than they found it, and that's really what you want to do, and I think that's the hope for all of them, and and they've done it in a way that I think a lot of fans can be proud of, and and I'm just happy they're going to get an opportunity to have a senior day, albeit in the weirdest form possible, but (laughs) <laughs> um they're gonna right. get that and you know they still have some opportunities in front of them uh to go out on a high note
1: so uh before we get out of here um i do want to make quick mention i'm having a beer
2: uh, i'm not i i'm drinking this very very fine uh water from a Algin that has uh some beer brewery stickers on it but it is not beer
1: so, uh, one of the, the hardest working folks at our site is, is Karen. I think everybody knows Karen. Um, and, and, and Karen works probably too hard at times, uh, on the site. And she made a, a comment a while back about how you and I always talk about whiskey and we do because you and I are whiskey nerds. We, we, we love our, our bourbon. Um, we also enjoy Japanese whiskey, Scotch whiskey, but but I think we're both at at our core bourbon guys. Uh, but we we do drink beer. I like beer. Uh, as uh, Supreme Court Judge um, Kavanaugh said in his hearing, I like beer. So I wanted to make mention that tonight uh, for the podcast, I was drinking, and I you can still pick this up in their online website if you're in St. Louis. Uh, you can swing by and pick it up it is the all nelson everything it is a uh, a double dry hopped imperial uh, Ipa it is uh quite tasty it's nice and juicy it's got some citra hops in there so you get you get your citrus notes um, but it's a really really good beer and'm I'm, I'm happy I opened it up for the for the podcast and i think that's a good way for us to end
2: we did it for you karen there you go
1: yeah, she was complaining that like like we never talk about beer. So there's there's our beer talk. Um, if you're in St. Louis, you can go pick up that beer. St. Louis is full of fantastic uh, breweries, so don't stop there. Go to Narrow Gauge. Go to Civil Life. Go to Side Project. Go to Forehands. Uh, Urban Chestnut.
2: All, all the places. Schlafly. <laughs>
1: No like skip Schlafly. Schlafly's fine there. go they're on the okay.
2: Budweiser Brewery tour to the you can do that it's it, it is interesting to this to that um, little shop
1: and i w- I will say like the best tasting Budweiser you'll ever have in your life is on the brewery tour because they like it's it's fresh and it's actually pretty good um and I say that as somebody who's not like I'm not a big uh blogger guy. But uh, but you and I will be back next week. We will have a full review of this week, uh, with uh, with wins uh, over Florida and uh, and LSU, um, pushing Missouri back into the top twenty-five rankings. I can feel it. Uh, and and looking forward, uh, if if everything goes their way, Matt, they can still be a four seed. Like they need everybody in front of them to lose all their games, but it could still. On the fan happen.
2: base will be united behind Conzo Martin. All will be well. <laughs> There'll be no, uh, no strife, no angst, no debate.
1: And who's who's the latest coach to uh, to to be uh, needed to be fired? Uh, you wanted to fire was, Steve uh, Peichel. That's who you wanted to. F- Steve Peichel. Uh, that's who you wanted to. F- got got bounced at Pinnacle Bank. If you're a. Uh, a- on college basketball podcast listener pinnacle bank is uh is a, a tough place to play uh well, that's where the university of nebraska has their home games and rutgers who is by all means an NCAA tournament team or, or should be uh went in there and got bounced by like 20 points so not looking good um they should definitely fire steve pikel he's not he's he's not the answer matt he's not the answer Neither is Jay Wright, who couldn't get it done at Butler.
2: Elder was very happy he couldn't get it done. Uh, my wife was thrilled with that result. Um, she's she's happy that Jay is now one and four in his last five games at, at Hinkle. So
1: he's he's probably looking at uh at at some potential uh, golf games in Columbia, Missouri. Maybe he'll uh, he'll show up and, and, and take maybe maybe. So we uh we will be back next week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Sorry that we uh yammered on for an additional like five to seven minutes talking about nothing but uh we'll be back next week do that again